0: But God's so good, and and it just, um, just thankful. Just thankful. My message is not about Thanksgiving at all, although it's, I guess it runs through every part of the Bible, but it just, uh, this week I've just been overwhelmed by the the word, you know, being thankful. Um, Everybody, let's just, I want y'all to say this word with me Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. I bet in your entire time of coming to church, you might have been coming to church your whole life, you had not heard a sermon on Epaphroditus more than once or twice in your life because he, he's not a famous, famous character in the Bible, but he's definitely mentioned a lot in the in the book that we're on in Philippians. And so um, so you're going to hear his name a lot this morning. And really, sometimes I come up here and it's, it's more of a sermon and sometimes it's more of a lesson. And today's definitely more of a lesson. We're going to be looking at basically, Paul, well, we've, we've kind of been looking at Paul, so we're going to continue, I guess, to look at Paul, but really we're going to look at Timothy and Epaphroditus. They are Paul's friends. They're his co-laborers, he calls them, and so we're going to kind of look at some characteristics in them that Paul found praiseworthy, and, um, and we're going to, and, and, and also look at how those things can be worked into our own lives. Uh, so today is really, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lesson, and it's really, um, like I said, I, I don't remember too many sermons on Epaphrodites as I was growing up, but, but he's, he runs all through this part of the of Philippians. And so he's, he's really important. And, and ultimately what I, th- I hope you gather from what we're gonna talk about with him is just how important it is that the, that about the example that you set for others. The example you follow is important, but also the example that you set for others. How important is the true life that you live how important is that not not the not the part that we not the billboard that we put out there on the highway for everybody to see yeah. not the social media version of us yeah. you know the, the 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 saccharine sweet uh you know like a, a christmas card yeah. you know not that but the true life that we lead our society tends to place a lot of value on how um on, on what we know like, um, we, look at, we love experts, you know, look at, and they've messed us up, right? But we, we love to, I mean, Congress will pass a law based on the testimony of experts who have no clue how to work something, but they're, they're experts in their field. And we basically put a lot of emphasis on what you know as opposed to what you know how to do. That's kind of the, the, the place that we are. And, um, and in, that, in that regard, our society is a lot like the ancient Greek society. The Greeks were very, very, they were very, um, I guess they were dedicated to the concept of, it's the amount of knowledge you have that's important. Like the more and more knowledge you could gain, the, 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 the more they esteemed you in their society. And, and we're like that. We, you think about how we, the, the, if, if somebody's got a bunch of letters behind their name, you automatically assume they know something. And it's just, it's, it's a natural, That's we, we, we adopted the Greek culture completely in that regards to our education. But Jesus said in Luke six and 40, a pupil, and he was talking about his disciples. He said a pupil is not above the teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. And here Jesus is talking about far more than just our knowledge base. It's more than just what we know the Hebrew concept. See, we have the Greek concept, but the Hebrew concept of education was a much more pragmatic one until a person could actually do the task, they did not know the job. You could teach them in a classroom all day long, but they were not considered to be fully learned in that area until they left the classroom and could do it themselves. That's kind of the, the concept. and, and When a student was fully trained in Hebrew culture, he not only knew what the teacher knew about the subject, but he could also follow the teacher's example and he could accomplish the task. Think about it less in the terms of college and more in the terms of like an apprenticeship. That's the way the Hebrew concept of of knowledge was You, you, you learned at the feet of the master until you also became the master. Learning included carefully observing and imitating the actions and attitudes of the teacher, as well as gaining information from hearing and reading. And, and it's important, I included the word attitudes, because if you, are, if you truly sit at the feet of a master teacher, if you truly sit at the feet of somebody who's, who knows what they're talking about, you not only gain their knowledge, but you start to take on their attitudes about things. You, you begin to look at the world the way they look at the world. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 states, do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man, lest you learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. And Paul, who was, and, and he tells us in other places, he was he was the, uh, the, the Pharisee of Pharisees. So he's big time, Hebrew knowledge and Hebrew understanding was a huge part of what he did. So he's, he's saying, I've got this exact same mindset that, the, that this Hebrew education mindset and therefore, he, pl- he placed great value on the practical application of knowledge. And you think about it, how, how I mean, all these epistles that he wrote, he, he, he really didn't have to do that, did he? He went and he preached to the church. He could have said, y'all, y'all got it. Take off. Win souls for the Lord and, and, and I'll, I'll see you again in the fall when I come through on my, my circuit of revivals, but that's not what he did. He wanted to make sure every time that he went to a church, he'd go back and he'd write him a letter. He was trying to establish more than just, here's the knowledge, he was trying to show them how to apply it, how to use it. That's why the epistles are, the a- Acts tells us how the church began. Acts is the, the we know from the book of Acts, it is, it's how the church began and it's how the church grew, but the epistles are written to the church. And it's trying to make us all better saints. And so it's so important that we, when, we, when we study the two that we understand the different purpose of each one. And the epistles are so important and Paul placed so much emphasis on that knowledge. And this is, a—I I read this scripture to Brother Keith and, and my dad and uh, Brother Bruce this weekend or Thursday at, at, uh, at Thanksgiving. You've never heard this scripture. You've read right past it and never thought about it. 2 Peter 3 and 16 peter this is peter talking he says paul writes some things that are hard to understand think about that for a second peter then peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus peter says that paul writes some things that are hard to understand that verse scared me to death I was, I was doing this study uh, last week and this week, and, and immediately I went to Facebook and I wrote on there, uh, be careful of people who are arrogant because they, they end up in error. We've got to be humble in our doctrine. I've got to be humble about what I believe. I'm not going to go around acting like I'm the smartest person in the world or I know everything. I want to be humble in my doctrine because if Peter thinks that some of the stuff that Paul was saying is sometimes hard to understand. I am not going to presume to say I know everything. So I'm going to always try my very best to be humble, humble, because if there's things that Peter doesn't understand, then I'm, I'm, I'm in a world of trouble. I'm in a world of hurt. But the reason Peter says that. and and if you keep if you read the scripture what what the point that peter was making is that a lot of people paul wrote so much and he wrote so deeply that a lot of people love to pick one verse that Paul wrote and build a doctrine upon it. That's really what Peter was trying, the point Peter was trying to make. And, and, and people would build false doctrines and heresies based on one little sentence or one scripture that Paul said when it was being completely taken out of context. But Paul liked to include practical application to everything that he was, tra- he, would, he preached the doctrine, but he was also trying to make it practical for all of us. And, and he was also very practical in all of his ministry training. And even a superficial review of the New Testament finds that Paul was always talking about all this stuff with the people he went out to minister because that's part of the training process. He wanted to—he tra- wanted not just to convert people, but he wanted to train them and make them disciples. And today we're gonna meet two of Paul's disciples in Philippians 2, and it's Timothy and Epaphrodites. We've all heard of Timothy many times. That, I've, I've heard many sermons. In fact, there's a couple of books in the Bible named after him that he wrote. Epaphrodites never wrote a book of the Bible. He, he's mentioned only a couple of times, I think in Corinthians and in Philippians. And, and, but he's very important in this particular chapter. And, and we're gonna look at their lives and by looking at their lives, we can gain some very practical understanding of how we're to live. We're gonna take that, you know, we're all converted in this room. I'm making a giant assumption. You all woke up at 10 o'clock on a, on a beautiful Sunday morning, again, right after Thanksgiving, and you were not able to wear your stretchy pants and you still came to church. So I'm, I'm making a giant assumption that everyone in this room is either converted or you're, you're leaning that way. You know, you may, you may not be fully converted, but you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're attracted to the message, right? And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take it from conversion to the practical application of how to be a disciple. And by looking at their lives, we're gonna get some understanding of this. Sometimes we, and what's really helpful about this is sometimes we can put Paul and Jesus, I guess I should say it in reverse. We could put Jesus and Paul up on such a high pedestal that we almost think that the things that Paul is telling us and that Jesus tells us are, man, they sound great, but they're kind of pie in the sky. Like Jesus was, he's the son of God. And Paul was an apostle. It's easy for them to preach these things, but maybe it's a little bit more difficult for us. And so we follow. We put them in such high esteem that we don't follow their example. They're too high up there for us to follow. And there's a tendency sometimes to dismiss their examples as being impossible. Yet the way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 10 and 32 is just the perfect answer to all those questions about, well, he's too perfect, he's too good. He answers that exact objection you may have or that I may have. He says, be imitators of me just as I am an imitator of Christ. So he's imitating Christ and he said, now y'all imitate me as I try to imitate Christ. I I can't, if I imitate someone, I'm not going to be the exact, I'm not the exact person, am I? I could have the greatest impersonation or or impression, to an impression of someone and I'm still not that person. But I'm imitating them. I'm trying to be like them. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. And in Philippians 2, we find two very ordinary men, just, just, ordinary, just ordinary men from that, that time period that were doing just that. They were trying to imitate Paul, and it demonstrated itself in their character. And we can do this as well. We talked a little bit about the joy that Paul felt about the Philippians last week. He said that, I'm going to read the scriptures in 17 and 18 again, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Paul knows he's being poured out as a sacrifice. He could die in, in jail in Rome, and he knows that that's a possibility, but he feels joy because he knows he's giving to the kingdom. And we can look at those examples of, of Paul holding up his joy. We, we've seen it so far. I'm not going to go back into it. But I want to look at Timothy first. Timothy was a very young man when, uh, he was probably in his mid to late teens. He could have been as young as 16 or 17. Think about that for just a second when he started traveling with Paul. And he's now been with Paul for more than 15 years. We know that that much time has passed by. And Epaphroditus had been with Paul in Rome uh, for only a relatively short time, probably about a year. We don't know exactly, but probably about a year. But he would have known Paul from longer than that year. He would have known Paul from his previous trips to Philippi. And both of these men had been greatly affected by Paul's example. And as I pointed out last week, the source of Paul's joy was seeing the gospel in operation in their lives. He, God was, wa- he was watching God work in their lives. And, and remember Paul considered himself to be that libation offering that was being poured out as a sacrifice to the faith. And he even rejoiced in that. Paul wanted to be used by God. That's what he wanted more than anything. And even being completely used up provided joy to Paul because he understood it was about God's purpose. If we ever get to that place, where we are completely comfortable and completely okay with being absolutely used up in the service of the kingdom. Watch out, devil. Watch out, Satan, because that's the place where, where we become absolutely the most useful for God. And that's where Paul was. Remember that Paul was writing to the Philippians in order to let them know what God was doing, even though he was imprisoned, even though bad things were happen, happening and people were tr- trying to cause him distress, he still felt joy, joy that was not dependent upon circumstances, but it was dependent upon what God was doing in the church. So that brother Bruce can take joy in knowing what's going on. Like you could be in in Gatlinburg for 14 days or 10 days, however many days y'all were there. And he can take joy knowing that, man, the services were great, people were getting baptized. It just, all the great things were happening even though he was gone. And Paul's kind of in the same boat here. And even though Paul's circumstances were difficult, we know that, he could see God was working. God was using Paul's imprisonment to take the gospel even to Caesar's household. Even the, even the soldiers in Caesar's household were being converted. And that's just powerful and awesome to imagine. Paul's in prison and the gospel's still spreading. And other believers were encouraged. People were becoming bold. All those, things, all those wonderful things were happening. And even those that were trying to cause Paul distress, were, they were proclaiming the gospel still. Even though their motive was wrong, the gospel was being proclaimed. God was being glorified in all of it, Christ was being preached. What, what more could Paul ask for? Paul also had a desire for others to rejoice. He wants us all to rejoice together. Like we can share in the joy. Remember we talked about that a lot last week and it's so important. In verse 18, he expressed his desire for Philippians to rejoice with him over what God was doing and also let them know what was happening in their lives. One of the reasons that, um, that praise and testimony uh, services are so encouraging is because as you listen to what God is doing in other people's lives, it encourages you as well. You become, like what would happen Tuesday night here. Many of you shared testimonies of what God is doing and, and it, it encourages you because you hear what God's doing and even if you are low in your faith, you become encouraged by someone else's faith. And so we see that it's kind of what we're going to do today with with the stories of timothy and epaphroditus we're going to hear their testimonies so we know i'm going to start with timothy first because we know him the best and 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 just the word that springs to mind with timothy is faithful that's the word that just springs to mind he's always faithful. paul just describes him as faithful all the time and starting in verse 19 paul expresses he, he has plans and, and he has desires and, and he wants to see certain things happen, but, but again, it's all gonna be God's will. Paul explains that he plans to send Timothy to them in the future. He says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I may also be encouraged when I hear, when I hear of your condition. So why did Paul want to send Timothy to them? The first reason Paul wanted to send Timothy was so that he could be a means to fulfill Paul's desire to share with them. He wanted to share more teaching, more preaching with them. And and Paul knew it may be hard for him to come seeing as he's imprisoned. So Timothy could come and do that. Timothy would also be able to come and find out how the church was doing. He could then return to Paul and and give a full picture. And you can immediately, I guess the the cynical amongst us, we could think, well, shoot, he he must not trust them. Well, why is he sending a spy to come check on him? But that was not something they needed to fear. Timothy wasn't coming to spy. He wasn't coming to report on their sins and and, and all the bad things that were going on. They didn't have phones. They didn't have Zoom. They didn't have email. They didn't have Facebook. They had none of that kind of stuff. It was only by sending a physical human being that Paul could get a full picture of how things were going at Philippi. He could hear all these letters that took six weeks to get to him, and, and he could respond with a letter that took another six weeks to get back. By that time, four months have passed. And all, how, what's really going on? How, do I, what do I know about what's going on? But if he sent his man, if he sent Timothy, he could find out what was going on. And Paul anticipated that when he would hear back, it was actually going to be a source of joy because he trusted the church at Philippi. So that's even a good thing. He wanted them to share their joy. And so this was not something that just came as a whim to fulfill his curiosity. His hope in the Lord was to send Timothy, and he says that in this verse. He was doing this according to God's will, and he explains that in verses 23 through 24. Paul couldn't come himself. We know that. And he writes in 23 and 24, Therefore I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust the Lord also that I will be coming eventually. He says shortly, but that's what he means. Eventually I'm going to come too. Paul's hope was to send Timothy, but first he needed to see how things would go with himself. He's imprisoned. The verses indicate that Paul was expecting to be able to have his case presented before Caesar in the very near future. And he anticipated that after his case was presented, he would would either be free to come and preach to him, but he also knew he could be killed, and he mentions that back in chapter 1. Caesar, and it would probably at this time was Nero. We don't know for sure exactly what year this was written, but, but based on, on the timelines and the, the, the historical evidence, it was probably Nero. There was no guessing what he might do. He was known to be very capricious and arbitrary. Um, he could dismiss Paul's case outright. He could continue it and say, Paul just stay in jail a little bit longer, or he could say off with his head. I mean, that, those, Nero could do anything he wanted. Caesar could do anything he wanted. And Paul makes no allusion to Rome or the Roman emperor, the Roman government. He doesn't refer to that at all. He specifically points out that it is his hope in the Lord to send Timothy. He doesn't say, good Caesar willing. He's basically saying, good Lord willing, I'm sending Timothy. Paul was physically chained to one of Nero's soldiers. Remember, we talked about that like the second week we were on Philippians. is chained to one of Nero's servants. But Paul describes himself, regardless of that situation, as a bond slave of Jesus Christ. What a great example he is setting for all of us to place our faith in Jesus Christ because sometimes we put our plans on hold while we're waiting on somebody else to make a decision. It could be a judge, it could be a court, it could be a creditor, it could be a doctor. And we are waiting on our whole lives, but they are neither my master, nor can they control the situation. Regardless of who it is, or regardless of what it is that you think may have placed your life on hold, Jesus is the master of your situation, no matter what you're facing. We understand that God is sovereign and that even the decisions made by a king are ultimately still under God's control. In our case, a president. Even the decisions made by a president are still under God's control. Proverbs 21 and 1 states, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. Think about that. Just picture that. The king's, it's like channels of water in the hands of God. He turns it wherever he wishes to turn it. God can turn it wherever he wishes. Proverbs 16 and 1 adds, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Proverbs 16 and 9 further adds, the the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We're not fatalistic. We don't just think things are gonna happen and, and, and throw up our hands and give up, but rather we are confident in God's care and we know he is watching over us every moment. We can face the future with an assurance that God is at work in us both to do his will and his good pleasure. We will be used for God's glory as we seek out his will and as we follow it. Then he will do his good will. He will do his good pleasure and we will see him glorified. This is what allowed Paul to rejoice in his circumstances and we've gone over this before. I'm just emphasizing it again. This is what allowed Paul to rejoice. So if you want to have joy, you do what I'm talking about right here because that's what Paul found was the answer and the way to get joy. It was the Lord's will he was seeking, not Caesar's. That should be true of us as well. Are you waiting for someone else to make a decision that's going to affect your life? Or are you waiting for the Lord's will to be revealed? He, he's going to move one way or the other, and we just have to be there and wait on it to happen. He's going to move on hearts. He's going to move on minds. He's going to change things in the physical world. He's going to change things in the spiritual world. It's all up to him. So Timothy's character in twenty and twenty one, we, we find out so much about Paul about Timothy in this, and in, in twenty and twenty one he says, "For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father." This is a wonderful godly man we're we're seeing described. Paul was only in his teens, like we said, when he began traveling with, with uh, Timothy was only in his teens when he began traveling with Paul. But even at that young age, we find out in Acts 16 and one, he was well-spoken and the believers in his home areas of Lystria and Iconium, they looked up to him even at a, at a young, young age. And paul had, i mean timothy had continued to mature and it was not many years before paul started sending timothy off on his own journeys he would send him to other places as his representative he went to corinth he went to thessalonica he went to ephesus he all these places paul sent him to by himself and that kindred spirit is that first quality that's that first characteristic is that he has a kindred spirit whatever you would say about paul's heart and desires you could also say about timothy the word here for kindred spirit means, and it's a pretty phrase, it's a beautiful, uh, it, it, it sets off things in our, in our brain, but it means equal-souled. We all hope to find that in marriage, right? I, I'm fortunate enough I found that. Equal-souled is such a wonderful kindred spirit. This isn't just a beautiful description, because it is a beautiful description, but it speaks of a man who is a companion, a familiar friend, and an equal Paul, Timothy was Paul's protege, and Paul was Timothy's mentor. What a, what a great relationship they had built together to spread the gospel. In verse 20, Paul talks about how Timothy had genuine concern for others, and that's that next characteristic. He genuinely cared. And this was particularly true of Timothy's concern for the Philippians. Timothy was present when Paul first went there, so everything that Paul says at the beginning of Philippians, Timothy was there. He saw all those things happen. He loved this church as well. And he had seen all those things. He had also spent quite a while there while Paul had gone to Ephesus. So Timothy had even spent more time in Philippi than Paul had during that third missionary journey. Timothy had a strong relationship with the people of Philippi and and there were strong feelings going both ways. They all cared about each other. There are those who can fake concern for others. We all know people who can, even amongst Christians, we can fake concern. This is sometimes done for people who'll say, oh, yeah, be, uh, you know, pray for me. Oh, I'll be praying for you. And you never think about it again after you walk out the door. There, you, we, we all know people like that. You, 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 you can tell them to pray for something, but you know they're not going to. And it, it's just fake being concerned. And, and they want you to think well of them, so they'll just they'll compromise their character by lying and say that they're going to do it. Let us not be like that. It's just, it's just being honest. But Timothy was not like that. His concern for the Philippian believers was, was true, and it was borne out by his actions towards them. While in our own time traveling to a distant city, you, you need to go to Houston for a doctor's visit, or you want to go to, to, to Dallas to shop or New Orleans to eat. It's a day trip, right? I mean, almost a day trip. You probably want to spend the night, but you, it, but you could make it in one day. But back then, it was difficult. It was dangerous. It was time-consuming. It was an effort. If you wanted to travel from one city to another it was a lot of work it was it was just a, a, a terrible thing and Timothy's willingness to, to be sent all these places showed that he cared about the believers the the next thing that Paul says is that Timothy sought Christ's interest that's the third characteristic I would love to be described that way oh, yeah. think about I, he 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 seeks out Christ's interests that's a great way that that means like if 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 I, if I needed somebody to take care of my affairs because I was going to go be a missionary somewhere for a year and I needed someone to watch over my house and watch over my, make sure my electricity bill was paid, that's the person I would trust to do all that stuff. And that's exactly what Paul is basically saying about Timothy. He's going to, he would do that for Christ. He would look out for Jesus's interest. Paul does this by contrasting him to all the others who would seek their own interest and not those of Jesus. Timothy was the opposite of those men because he was single-minded serving Jesus Christ. No wonder Paul describes him as a kindred spirit. Paul's comments here are also very revealing about the sad state of the church at Rome right then. Uh, Paul is rejoicing that the gospel is preached there and there's some good occurring, but there were a lot of people who were doing it out of selfish ambition and it was taking its toll on the church in Rome. There were also those who would not preach out of goodwill and love and they were just not available for Paul to send. Paul states that Timothy, out of all the church in Rome, Timothy was the only one that Paul could send. That's kind of, that's a damning statement to make about the church in Rome, an indictment of the church in Rome. There was, he was the only one that he could send. And maybe some of them had legitimate excuses. Um, Paul actually says that a married man in 1 Corinthians 7.33 has an excuse not to go. Maybe some of those had legitimate excuses, but there was no one else out of all that that could be sent. And Paul's statement clearly reveals that the real problem, there should have been people available, but they were seeking after their own interests instead. And we know those that serve the Lord with selfish motives, they quickly limit how much the Lord can use them. If someone is serving, even if they're serving in church and they're doing it from selfish motives, they're going to be limited on the amount of things and the the way that the Lord can use them. And it must have been frustrating for Paul to be surrounded by so many immature believers I'm just that's what they were. They were immature believers that Timothy was the only one he could trust. No wonder he did not want to go uh, to, uh, did not want him to go until it was the right time because he probably didn't want to be left alone with all the immature believers. But in the midst of all this, and this is just we see this over and over again with Paul. In the midst of all this, he found reason to rejoice, even in the midst of that. Why? Because Paul's interest was on serving Jesus Christ and not his own conference, it'd have been great if the church in Rome was just perfectly organized. You know, we man, I don't even have to show up until I got to preach. I got somebody who can run the whole thing. They just everything's going great. I I, I can prepare in the back and and walk out and preach, and that it, that'd have been awesome for Paul because we know he's writing letters. He's busy, busy. But that's apparently not. Paul was probably the one. Had he not been in prison, Paul would, apparently, the way he's describing, Paul would have been the one cleaning the toilets. Paul would have been the one vacuuming the carpet. And Paul would have been the one singing. And Paul would have been the one preaching. Because that's basically what he's describing. And, and, and a lot of churches have that lack of maturity. And, 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 and we have a great church here. And I'm, not, and I'm not calling us an immature church. But we're not perfect either. There's places we could improve, and instead of unity and humility, which marks conduct worthy of the gospel, sometimes there is pride, and sometimes there is division. And I'm grateful that here at this church, there's many that put their that put Jesus's interest above our own, of their of their own. We're not above having this problem, and some people. And, and, and here's the thing: some people lack maturity simply because they're young in the Lord. They've not been around long enough. They just lack maturity for that reason. They, their their Christian walk is just not developed. There are others who lack maturity because they have not been discipled. There's people who came into the church and, and they love God and they, they were full of the excitement and they wanted to serve the Lord, but they were never properly discipled. They never had somebody come alongside and say, hey, let me teach you some things and let me show you some things. And so because of that, they never advanced in their walk with the Lord. But there are others, and I was this person for a very long time, there are others who have resisted growing in the Lord because they're still led by the flesh. There are people sitting on these pews today. There'll be people sitting on these pews at 11.15 that they're just not mature because they want to still do fleshly things. Paul puts it that way in 1 Corinthians 3 and 3. Their interests are still on the world. And and like I said, I'm pointing at myself because that was me for a long time. But all of us, even those who are mature in Christ, all of us, we have lots of room to grow in our walk with Jesus. And all of us should always be actively growing that's that sanctification process i've talked about several times we all should be growing we all should be becoming more and more like jesus don't let yourself remain where you are spiritually don't stop i don't care what what your your uh, social i mean what your driver's license says your year of birth is don't let that stop you from growing in the lord There's no excuse for us to remain immature in Christ. There's all kinds of help available. There's there's Bible studies. there's, There's teaching that goes on. There's opportunities for ministry. There's many things we can do. We just have to take advantage of them. But in order to do that, we have to have a desire to please Jesus. And if you want to be like Paul or you want to be like Timothy, and each of us should, then we must have that kindred spirit to them as well. And that comes from that desire. Next, Paul tells us about Timothy's value. He continues in 22 and 23. He says, but you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with him. There was that past ministry he could hold up and show them what what Timothy had done. He proves that with those previous travels, those missions trips, all the things. He had carried out assignments. Anything that Paul had told him to do, he did. Philippian believers would see that and know that because they had experienced it. Paul includes Timothy as a co-laborer. He calls him a fellow bond servant of Christ in many of his letters, in Romans, in Philippians, in Colossians, in both Thessalonians and in Philemon. He calls Timothy either a co-laborer or a fellow bond servant. It's important to note that Timothy served with Paul not for him. They were fellow workers. They worked in cooperation with each other for the same cause. They modeled to the Philippians what Paul wanted them to do in being humble and being of the same mind, same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose. Paul had elevated Timothy through his youth and and even though he was a a 16-year-old into someone he valued as an equal and Timothy never let his pride develop to think he had ever surpassed his mentor. That's the way we're supposed to work with one another in the church. The future of our church is tied up. It is Absolutely, you cannot separate the things. It is so tied up with us seeing people mature in Christ. We must watch our fellow Christians that are sitting on the pews with us mature in Christ, become co-laborers. We all need to be co-laborers with Jesus Christ. We wanna be proactive in developing leaders. We wanna be proactive in developing our young people. We wanna be proactive in developing our young marrieds, proactive in developing our seniors, all of us developing so that we can be laborers for Christ. In this church, there's, it's, it's never been about positions of power. It's, this, this church is just, is just a, a kind, sweet place to, to be. And it's never been about that. It's all about greater ministry responsibility so that we can help one another go forward and be effective in the calls of Christ. Timothy also has a present ministry. Paul valued Timothy's present ministry so much that he desired to send him. It, it immediately, he wanted to send him. He just had to wait on God's permission The second example, and here's the one we've been, I got you to say earlier, Epaphrodites. In verse 25 and 28, Paul speaks about the character of Epaphrodites in explaining why he was being sent back to Philippi. He says, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphrodites, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger and minister to my need because he was longing for you and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice and be less concerned. There's a lot to unpack in that, and I'm going to do it as fast as I can. Paul begins explaining why he was sending him back in the first place. He, he wasn't sending him back because he wasn't a good Worker. Oh, they sent him to me. He's not working out. I'm sending him back. That's not at all what he was. He wanted them to recognize what a wonderful and a valuable man Epaphrodites was. Paul begins by saying he was sending him back because it was necessary. It wasn't something Paul desired, but it was necessary. He calls Epaphrodites his brother his fellow worker and his fellow soldier. Those sound like compliments to me. That's pretty good stuff. But, and each one reveals a facet of his character. He talks about him as as a brother. That's someone who's on your own family, the family of God, that's his brother. It's an idea of intimacy and commitment to one another. He also calls him his fellow worker. That shows the nature of their relationship. They worked together, they had been in service together on behalf of the Philippians, not the Philippines, but the Philippians. He had been successful at this, and Paul found him to be a good partner in ministry. And there's an aspect of affection included in all of these things. He's not just a coworker in the sense of somebody you go to to see tomorrow morning, whether you want to or not, you know. But it was a person who joined up that you wanted to work with, and that's reflected even more in the third thing he calls him, my fellow soldier. It talks about the common struggles they they, they shared in serving in God's army against the common enemy. Epaphroditus was willing to share in whatever hardships Paul went through. Good soldiers look out for each other. They suffer the same hardships. They go together. Paul also points out Epaphroditus' value to the Philippian believers who had sent him. He was their messenger. They had sent a money offering with Epaphroditus. They were trying to help Paul. They wanted to help Paul. He was also a messenger of their love because when when he came, can you imagine? Paul's in jail in Rome, and we know the Roman church isn't the best one right now. And Paul's sitting there by himself, and he may be thinking, Man, I just, it sure would be nice to see a friendly face. And in walks, his servants come in. Hey, there's a guy who's come to see you. Well, who is it? Where's he from? Well, he's from Philippi. I don't know if you know him or not. What's his name? It's a guy named Epaphrodites. Bring him in. I can't wait to see this friendly face. This is, and then Epaphrodites walks in. I bet they embraced and hugged. And then Epaphrodites, you know, I send you the best greetings from the church. Everybody loves you. We're praying for you. We miss you so much. We, we want to support your ministry. We've even we've got an offering here. And, and I mean, Paul's thinking, man, this is the best day ever that, you know, since I've been in jail. What an awesome thing. So why is Paul sending him back? Paul explains the reasons in 26 and 28. Epaphrodites had gotten homesick. Let's just be honest, and that can happen even amongst, sold out as you are for the Lord, you can get a little homesick. And he was longing for his friends. He had been really sick, and, and that sickness had even distressed the people in Philippi because apparently it had been a long-term sickness, and he had almost died. And, and so the people in Philippi were scared. They had prayed for Epaphrodites, and, and he was not immediately healed. And In fact, he almost died from the, the connotation from here. It's not God's will that we're all immediately healed, is it? Sometimes we're going to suffer with some sicknesses. We can pray, we can ask for God's mercy all according to His will. We never demand from God, but sometimes we just have to go through a sickness. And Paul specifically states that it was God's mercy to both of them that Epaphrodites had recovered. He adds that he knew that the return of Epaphrodites would comfort the church in Philippi and and they would rejoice. And he was so happy. Paul was eager to have Epaphrodites return, not because he didn't want to see his face anymore. We got tired of each other. It was because he knew it would bring joy and that would lessen his own concern for Philippi. Think about that. Knowing that Epaphrodites was back would, would even make him worry less. And so Paul concludes this section with instructions to the Philippians about how they were to treat Epaphrodites. You just welcome him. You hug him. You love on him. He's my representative. Just welcome him back. They were to receive him in all joy. They were to hold him in high, self, high esteem. He tells them to, to, to look at what he's done, all the, the, the trouble he's been through, the work he's been. He had come close to death for the work of Christ. He had proven himself. He had shown he was worthy. And ministry is not always easy. And I'm not just talking about, you know, going to the foreign field. What are you willing to risk in your own own life, in your service to the Lord and others? Are we willing to follow the example of Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus? Think about that phrase, co-laborer, for a second. It's used so many times in the New Testament. Paul mainly is the one who uses it. But but think about co-laborer. Have you ever been called to do a job and some people are going to meet you there and we're all going to do the, the thing I immediately thought of, and it's, uh, it, it's been a few years, but, but like back in college, we're going to move and you get a bunch of guys are all going to show up. We're all going to help move yeah. and two people work yeah. and six people talk about it yeah. Yeah. Two, six people plan. Oh, I think we could get the couch in this way. And, and they're worried about that. And two people are unloading boxes, steady unloading boxes. And, and by the t- by the end of the day, we're all tired, but two of us did the work. You can't have a co-laborer unless you have a laborer with you. It's hard to labor by yourself and have a co-laborer. Maybe you had more invested. Maybe it was your girlfriend who was moving. So yeah, you were re- you carrying boxes. You, you know, you were definitely ready to, to show how strong you were but you prioritized it higher than your friends. Maybe you had more invested, maybe you had more, maybe you felt more obligated, but for whatever reason, that job was more important to you. Now take that same concept and place it in ministry. Put it in the ministry setting. Not everybody is a Paul, not everybody is an Epaphrodites and not everybody is a Timothy they are three different men with different personalities, different gifts, different abilities, but they were all greatly used by God because serving the Lord became the priority of their life. And we as a church must become like that. That's how we have to, serving the Lord is our each individual priority. It's not enough to say, oh yeah, and Bentley we love to serve the Lord. I love to serve the Lord. Because if we love to serve the Lord, we're gonna have two people moving boxes and six people planning what colors we need to paint the auditorium. Do you see what I'm saying? We all want to serve the Lord. Each of us committed to the the mission. So what example are you gonna follow when I'm done? What priorities have you set for your life? Will they bring an eternal reward or just a temporary satisfaction in, in life? God desires to use you for his glory. That is his greatest desire is all of us, from the youngest in this room, and she's sitting on the back row, the youngest to the oldest, all of us to be used for his glory. Are you willing to let him do it? Are you willing? Are you willing to just let, we we saw three, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphrodites, and we heard stories of their lives, and we've heard all this great stuff about them. We also can imitate Paul as he imitates Christ we can imitate brother Bruce as he imitates Christ we can follow and we can become servants of the Lord we just have to prioritize his service prioritize serving the kingdom can we all stand I'm gonna pray over us and we'll be dismissed we have service at 1115 I told everybody this week brother Randy was preaching I think I started that rumor But I think it's Brother Bruce is preaching in the 1115 service. Um, and so, but I uh, thank you all for being here. I know this was not a, a rah-rah sermon, but thank you for listening to just the word of God. Yeah. It, it, it equips us. We can become all these things that we talk about, all these people that we talk about, we can be like them because we start to read about them. Their lives are reflected in our lives and we, we want to serve God and we want to be more like him. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for meeting us here this morning, God. Help us to always prioritize service to your kingdom, God, above everything else, Lord. All that we do for you is all that matters, God. It's your kingdom. It's all about your will. It's all about your purpose. It's all about you, God. We get so tied up in our own stuff, and we want to do our own kingdom, and we want to build our own things, and we want to build our own stuff, but God, it's all about you, Give us strength this week, Lord, to to look at that through kingdom eyes, God, that we know that we're doing your will. We're about the Father's business, God. Watch over us during this holiday season, Lord. Help it to draw us all closer to you. Be with us until we come back at your appointed time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.